Welcome to the NLP Zone podcast, episode six. I'm your host, Jordan Luxford, and in this episode, I will be speaking to Bob Van Lout. Bob is the co-founder of Semi Technologies, an NLP company based in Amsterdam that was founded in 2019. In this episode, we will be discussing four topics, unstructured data and the problems we face with it, vector search engines, their product, Weaviate, trends in vectorizing data outside of NLP, and where we will see NLP in the next few years. Now, Bob gives a fantastic insight on his path to technology and why he started an NLP company. He has an undeniable passion for taking semi-technologies to the next level. And after listening to Bob's story, I, for one, am really excited for the future for Bob and his company. So sit back, relax, enjoy the show. Hi, Bob. Hey. How are you doing? I'm well. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Pleasure to have you on the NLP Zone podcast. Yeah, well, um, uh, thanks for having me. No problem at all. So for the audience listening, for those that don't know who Bob Van Lau is, can you tell me a little bit about your background? Yeah, sure. So I am a co-founder of Semi Technologies. And before that, I worked as a uh, freelance uh, software engineer. And I've been working in software for like a very long time. So I'm, as I always like to say, I'm a, an early millennial. So that means that I grew up with the with the internet. And um, uh, the first time that I actually had a business on the web was when I was 15. So, you know, everybody wanted to have a website. And back then somebody said like, uh, you know, I need a website for my products. And I was like, you know, I can build you a website. It's like... Uh, I don't want to see that. I, I don't remember. I blocked what that website actually looked like, but it's. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I still want to see that. But uh, that was the first time that I that I started a business, and uh, of course I studied also in between. But the the main point is that I've mostly been working for more than half of my life in uh, in technology. Thank you. And so, and what age did you discover um, your interest for technology? Oh, that's very easy because I I remember that like yesterday. So it's like uh, my dad brought home an IBM and I think it was an XT, but I'm not sure. But it was an IBM computer from work just to do work stuff. This was like pre-internet. So I must have been like nine or 10 or something like that. And this this machine, it was just a a DOS machine. So it has like um, MS-DOS and... There was a piece of software on there, what, what was called QBasic. And in Holland, we had a few books in the library uh, that was like programming for children. And uh, it was in Dutch. And it also, uh, there was a book. And I don't remember the name of the book, but I, I remember it was orange. And it was like, you know, <laughs> programming in QBasic for children. And I still remember that. I don't know exactly what the syntax was in uh, QBasic, but that the first thing that you had to make was something like, and again, I was in Dutch, but I'll, I'll translate. It was like, so something like input, what is your name, dollar sign name, and then echo, hello, dollar sign name. And I remember that I did that and I typed in like, so it said like, what's your name? And it said, Bob, and I hit enter and it said like, hello, Bob. And I was sold then, there, I was sold. So that was uh, just the idea of stuff that you could make uh, that was just, yeah, right there, right then. Yeah. So you've never looked back since when from when you was nine years old there. No, 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 no. 
Very interesting. Okay, so and, and it's obviously led you to where you are now. The early foundations were laid at nine years old, and now you're the the co-founder of Semi Technologies. I've also noticed just been having looking at your uh, your LinkedIn profile. Quite an interesting profile. You've got a lot of features on some some cool milestones there one of them was speaking at the the tedx event I, i'm very familiar with this uh, event I, I follow a lot of entrepreneurs and great speakers and stuff like that you talked about was it the digital technology through the lens of language correct yes that is correct that is correct wicked could you tell me a little bit about that talk yeah sure so i so one of the nice things about like a tedx talk is that uh, so it's like it's the, the tagline is like ideas worth spreading. So you can go a little bit deeper. I mean, you can talk about anything, but in my case, I, I it allowed me to go a little bit deeper about ideas that I that I have. And one of the things that you also might see on my on my profile is that I uh, I, I studied music at some some point in time. So the arts are also something mm -hmm. that is very dear to me. And one of the cases that I wanted to make is that if we go all the way, if we peel down the onion of what a computer nowadays or a digital machine, what it does uh, when we get to the binary layer, basically, that comes from somewhere. So where is that coming from? And it comes from ideas from philosophy in how we can map reality, right? So binary logic and those kind of things. And the case that I wanted to make is that the computer is such a beautiful, fantastic machine to express creativity and there are no limits and the limits are what we can express in our language. So I end the talk by saying something like, if you can think about it or if you can dream about it, you can build it with digital technology. And that's it in a very tiny nutshell, but that was the case that I was making. And I wanted to give a very optimistic view about what's happening nowadays in technology with machine learning or AI, if you will, opposed to, you know, more pessimistic views that are somewhat, you know, sometimes tooted out. So uh, that was that was how I used that time uh, on the TEDx stage. Wicked. Very impressive. I haven't, I couldn't actually find the, the link to the talk. So if I was to, or anyone listening wanted to listen to that talk, where could they go to find it? Well, they can't because it's uh, recorded only a few weeks ago. So they're currently preparing ah, it. So okay. if somebody listens to this in uh, uh, by the end of December 2021 or early 2022, they'll find it online, but they, uh, they're preparing it. So I'm expecting a message that it's on their website anytime soon. So it's recorded only three weeks ago. Yeah. Very exciting. Okay. It makes sense why I couldn't find it. <laughs> that, that's, that's the reason. Yeah. Brilliant. So I'm quite intrigued then. So obviously the journey started at nine years old, led you to where, to where you are today, but where did the journey start where, where your interest was gained within natural language processing? Where did that start? Yeah. So I'm also, that is something that I remember very well. Because the at some point there was a lot happening in NLP and back then things like BERT and Transformers didn't exist yet. And back then we had word to vec And there was this famous example that they always showed that how you could calculate with language. And I don't remember the exact formula that they had or the example, but it was something that they had like king minus man plus women. And then the it, what they showed in vector space was, was queen. And back then I was freelancing and there was like a data science call every every week or every two weeks or something at that company. And I just, you know, dialed in and watched what was happening there. And I was immediately intrigued by that. And that has to do just with my personal interest in, in language and the topic that I was talking about it on the TEDx stage and also my interest in, in technology. And 
and then the seed was planted. I didn't have an idea back then to what I wanted to build with it. It was just, it was in my head and I was playing around with it. That's how I often work. So if something, mm-hmm. something new comes out, I just play around with it. Literally, I just make something and see. And then it's just, you know, it's, it's some baggage that I have then somewhere in my head and that I can use whenever I want to use it. And that was when the seed was planted. And it was only a little bit later, uh, like a few years later, that dealing with unstructured data became a bigger and bigger problems for the, the customers that I was I was working for and as, as, a, as a freelancer. And then at some point I had this idea, I said like, so what if I, um, and remember back then we were talking about single words that were in, in the NLP mm. space, not complete sentences yet. That's where we are now, but back then. And I thought like, what if I just take a document and I calculate like from every individual word, I just calculate like a centroid position and then I see if I can find the right document just by um, uh, querying in natural language. And that worked pretty okay-ish. And then I thought like, okay, this is, there's something here. And that's how the journey, that's that's literally where the journey started. That was, Weaviate didn't exist yet. That was not a, not a, not a, it was not a database yet, but that was the, that's where the idea started. Like, hey, this is an opportunity to build something around it. Very nice. So, does that kind of explain why, you know, with all the opportunities you could have chose in, in technology, the many directions you can go down, why though was NLP the, the biggest fascination for you to, you know, eventually lead to starting your own company in that area? Oh, uh, yes. And and words to describe that is just there are no, the, the words to describe that are not like economical or any, or anything or the word like challenging is also not a word that I would use. The word that I would use is just, I was intrigued. I'm intrigued by language still today and things that we can do with it. And I was like, if I can build a business around dealing with language in any way, shape or form in the technology, then that's something I want to do. So it's just purely out of fascination. That's, that's where it was born. Very nice. Okay, cool. So, um, semi technologies, you were founded recently, 2020, uh, 2019, August, 2019. 2019. Yeah. Or, so, so not been long. So you kind of started just before the pandemic. Tell me what do, what does semi technologies do? Yeah. So, so first of all, so the product that we have, Weaviate, that, that's an open source product that existed already before the company existed. And when we figured out, so we were an accelerator uh, that where I met my co-founders. Uh, so one of my co-founders, uh, HN, he's doing the, the hardcore development into Weaviate. We can get into that as well and why that's important. Um, and then I have my other co-founder, uh, Misha, who's taking care of all the operational things, which of course is very important in the business. And at some point, uh, when we were playing around in the accelerator with the idea of like, how could this work? How could we structure this? We came to an interesting conclusion. And I was like, we were looking for a database or a search engine to deal with these vector representations. And we, we can talk about that as well, but they, they come from the models. And we needed to store mm-hmm. them and quickly search through them. Because as I mentioned from the original idea, I had like three documents that I wanted to search through. But as soon as you went into like the 50K, 100K, million, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, turned out that there wasn't like really a good database to deal with that or a good search engine to deal with that. So then we just, you know, I cut the nut and I told the team, I said, listen, we're going to focus fully on creating a vector database. That's what we're going to do. In all honesty, we didn't call it a vector database back then. So back because we have a graph-like model, we, we still call it a knowledge graph. There's also something interesting to say about that because 
at some point, you, if you make something new, then how are you going to call it? And another interesting linguistic problem. But we started with the term knowledge graph because that was something that was starting to exist. We were interested with the word knowledge, you know, attaching that to NLP. Later, we said, no, 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 we're actually focusing on these vectors. So we went for the, the term vector search engine, which was in, in 2019. And that actually turns out to be the right term because that's now really the term that you see that people starting to use for these kinds of, of, uh, of technologies. But going back so to your question, so Semi was the company that was created around the open source vector search engine Weaviate. Semi is an abbreviation. So you write it at capital S and then lowercase e, capital M, capital I, and which stands for Semantic Machine Insights. So the original idea was purely on NLP. Today, we know that we, we, we have use cases that do many, many more things within Weaviate. also audio, video, but even... So Semi is an, uh, actually an abbreviation. So it's like capital S, lowercase e, capital M, capital I, and it stands for Semantic Machine Insights. So originally the idea was to only do NLP stuff, but nowadays we know, we see a lot of use cases about like audio, video, but even medical data, cybersecurity data, all that stuff gets vectorized and is stored in the vector search engine. NLP is by far still the biggest, but we see all these other use cases as well. And uh, you touched on what the other co-founders' main roles are within the business, uh, you being one of the other co-founders, what is your main roles and responsibilities for the business direction? Yeah, so I mean, of course, I'm kind of the face of the company, I guess. So people see me and I do well, these kind of things. Uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, I am constantly looking at like, uh, on one hand, what are people creating? So what are they doing with Weaviate and how can I help them to create the things mm -hmm. that they are creating? And because when you create a new product, you and at the stage where we are as a company, you want to you want to learn and you want to understand, so what are these cases and how do we help these these companies or individual uh, solve the problems that they have and where they want to apply, you know, for which use case they want to, they want to use Weaviate. And that is what I'm doing on a day-to-day -day basis, besides some the usual stuff you do in my role. But I'm really focused on like, okay, who are the users and who are the customers and what do they want? So what problem am I solve, is Weaviate solving for them? And what are they saying? So I am uh, listening a lot on a day to, to get an understanding of that, of that use case uh, landscape, as I like to call it. Very nice. So you're effectively the eyes and ears of the business and driving in the sales area as well, if you like. I also like that the product is, is open source as well. I did a recent podcast with uh, Philip Vollett. And he emphasizes the importance of having open source areas so that, you know, these big companies that don't do things open source and kind of stops people from being able to have that freedom. So I, I like that your product is open source. It makes it a lot more exciting. So touching on that, we, we, we talked, as you mentioned, from the beginning of your introduction of like on unstructured data. I'd like to know a little bit more about unstructured data. Why is it a problem and uh, why is it difficult? Yeah, so it's like, of course, we know that more and more data is being stored. Yeah? That can be anything. So that is the podcast that we're currently recording that is being stored. And that is actually a great example of unstructured data. So mm -hmm. um, yes, there is some structured data related to it. Maybe the date that we recorded it, maybe my name that's attached to it or those kind of things. But mo the most important crucial information sits in the video and in the audio that we are recording right now. That's a form of unstructured data. So the problem that we have is, let's say that somebody wants to find the part in this video where we talk about open source software. How do you do that? Right, that's a, that's a problem, that how do you do that? So 
back in the day, the, the way we did it was, and back in the day, I'm, we're talking about like five years ago, <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> we, we were tagging it. We were just saying like, oh, that is like somewhere there he's talking about open source. So then somebody had to go in and type that out. And then you had to hope that somebody was uh, searching for open source software. So, for example, if somebody would use a term, uh, I, don't, I don't know, publicly available software, I'm making this up, then they couldn't find it at all. So we knew that machine learning might be a potential solution to this, to this problem. Only then you have a new problem because you don't need two things. You, you have data and you have the machine learning. But you need a third thing in there. There's a third thing that you need to solve that problem. And that's actually the database. So the data is being fed to the machine learning model. The machine learning model creates an output, the vectors. And those are the ones we store in the database. This is a big problem. So it's estimated that I believe 93% of the data we, we store on a daily basis is unstructured in one way, shape or form. So that means that there's a lot of opportunity to help individuals, academics, businesses, small, large, doesn't matter, to be more efficient in how they store and search through their, through their data. So that is, the, that is the core problem of unstructured data. And it's, it's literally everywhere. If you think about it, yeah. the majority of data is actually unstructured. It, does, it makes a lot of sense when I think about my everyday life, of the work I do. I mean, I'm obviously in the re recruitment side, but all the same, you know, I'm using a computer and using many different avenues or sources of communication, you know, like this, for example, phone, text, whatever it may be. So, yeah, I can see exactly why it's a huge problem. 90% is a large number of unstructured data. Yes. And I actually, in your line of business, I have a nice use case. So I was talking to somebody and they had the following use case. They are as we like to call them there in the HR uh, bucket. <laughs> so the human resource bucket. And they had an interesting problem, right? So they had a huge company and they have like all these resumes of people and they're also written biographies of what these people do. They were searching for an IT manager who was into sports because the team that this person had to manage was like a team that was like, they, they had a workout every week or something with the whole team. And they needed an IT manager. So like said, they said like, okay, it's nice if somebody's an IT manager, but we like them to join our weekly workout sessions. So it turned out there was a lady in the organization and she was in the um, national beach volleyball team. So she was an IT manager or she is an IT manager and she was in the national beach volleyball team. Great match, right? Mm -hmm. But they couldn't find her because the word sports was not used in her biography. Her biography said like, I was in the national beach volleyball team. So with a traditional search engine, you cannot find, you can't, you can't find her in the stack of thousands and thousands of resumes. But if you say IT manager sports, then the, thanks to the model, you can make a relation between the national beach volleyball team and sports. Yeah. With thanks to WeFH, you can do that on a large scale. So you can search through all of them instantly and get that answer back. So that's an example of use case in your industry. Yeah, that's very clever. I mean, my mechanical way of doing it, if you like, was, you know, if I'm talking with a, a good candidate, typically we, we go off topic towards the end. Besides work, we talk about what they like to get up to in their spare time, their hobbies and stuff like that. But that input is only going to be there through me asking that question. And like you say, I'm probably going to type in, you know, they might tell me they're into bouldering or they're into hiking, but, you know, that isn't specifically saying the word sport. So, yeah, if someone was... Uh, 
into sports, it, it'd be hard to identify them without the specific word we was looking for. Unless I said hiking, but which, which is different to what you said. So yeah, it's a, it sounds like you've landed on a gold mine there. Yeah. <laughs> cool product. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. So I wanted to hear a little bit more about Weaviate and uh, for those that are listening to, to know a little bit more about them, perhaps around the, you know, explaining about the vector search engines, Weaviate, what is it? Yeah. So as we talked about with these machine learning models, so what comes out of a machine learning model is a is a vector representation. And uh, if you're into NLP, for those listening that are into NLP, they probably know what it is. But just for people who don't know what it is, how I always like to explain it is from the perspective of coordinates. So it literally, it looks like uh, coordinates, right? So if you have like a three-dimensional space, and if you think for, think, for example, of a supermarket, that, and you would ask me, Jordan, you said, okay, where are the apples in the supermarket? I could, in theory, give you 3D um, coordinates. They go mm-hmm. these x-axis, the y-axis, and then the z. And then you would find apples there. This is how these models also work. They don't do that over three dimensions, but they sometimes into the thousands of dimensions. So it's a, it's a mathematical model. But basically, they try to organize something so that can be words, that can be sentences, that can be images from videos, that can be uh, patterns in images. It could be DNA strings, you name it. They try to organize them in that hyperspace, so in that more than three-dimensional space. So that is what it, what it looks like. The problem that Weaviate solves is that you, if you want to search for them on a very large scale, Mm-hmm. That's a problem, right? So if you, if you, for example, if you are a data scientist or an engineer, you have your model, and now you have like I don't know a million of these factory presentations. How are you going to search through them very fast? That's a problem, and that is the problem that Weaviate solves. Excellent. And uh, so yeah, touching on that, then what is the, the the main role that NLP plays there? Yeah. So the the main role that NLP plays that Weaviate itself is agnostic of the model you use. So if you say I'm going to use an NLP model, which is by the way the majority of use cases, mm-hmm. um, then it, the the NLP model you put in a document or a sentence, and the NLP model gives a vector representation. And what Weaviate does is that one, it takes the abstraction of way of storing that information, but you can even store the metadata as well. So for example, the document itself or those kind of things. So the UX or the user experience that the end user or the developer has is very similar to using a database like, I don't know, MongoDB or Elasticsearch or Redis or those kind mm-hmm. of solutions that it has a similar uh, user experience. But under the hood, it's doing all that machine learning handling for you. So you don't have to do that yourself anymore. Very nice. So interested to know a little bit more about Weaviate's presence within the market. So you've been going for, as you say, Weaviate was established before semi-technologies, right? How long has Weaviate been about? I think the first commit, and I have to, so I have to admit that it, of course, it, it started a little bit different. So when we were looking for that, yeah. but that's, that's a few years ago. I don't know the exact date. Weaviate in its current state that it really was an end-to-end database all the way, you know, from uh, bottom to top standalone. That was released uh, very early this year, actually. So, um, uh, so people were using it already last year, uh, but mm-hmm. then we had still some dependencies, and that's all gone. So it's now a standalone database. It's now even a scalable. Uh, database, so you can, if you have a Kubernetes cluster, you can you can scale it. So in its current form, I would say it's now kind of a, a you know a year, a little over a year old. 
Understood. And is Weave 8 just used domestically at the moment or is it internationally now? No, it's used everywhere. So so the thing is, of course, uh, Weave 8 is open source, so we can measure downloads. We don't know exactly mm-hmm. who's downloading that. That's a... I don't know if, if people listening to this podcast are interested in this, but this hey, you have like you have a community funnel that you can use to understand who's using it, yeah, the, related to yep. a day-to-day job. And at the beginning mm-hmm. of that funnel, it starts with a, with a with a download, and we don't know who's downloading it, but that's where it starts. And we're now we're we're slowly approaching 600k downloads. So early next year, we're easily going to touch a million. And so it's going very fast. It's like it's the, 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 the cliche hockey stick that you see happening. And that's, of course, something I'm very proud of. But more and more people are using it. We have known users in, in the US, Europe, India, Japan, uh, all these places. And how do we know? Because at some point, people make themselves, sometimes people decide to make themselves known via email, social media, or a Slack channel. And uh, that's how we learn where they're coming from, but it's it's literally everywhere. So, I mean, I even had like, uh, I had users from Africa using it. Is there like, they're, they're from everywhere. Excellent. So you're, you're at 600,000 downloads now. You'll be a million next year. What is the objective, the long-term goal? What, what is the number one thing that we're looking to solve with this product? Yeah, so the, so the, the, the really the, the most important goal when we look at it from a product perspective is that I... That, or I, I say I, but I would should say we as a, as a company, what we want is that uh, we've it becomes a de facto standard for dealing with unstructured data. That's the goal, regardless if that's text, images, video, uh, medical, care, whatever. That is our goal. And that is what we're working towards. And we see more and more people start to understand the added value of affected areas. They also, we get a lot of inbound now. People already know what they want to solve. So that's great. So the goal is that that's the goal. That's where we want to get to. Very nice. Okay, so touching on vectors, and it's been quite interesting to learn about the different trends in vectorizing data, perhaps outside of NLP as well, and basically, yeah, I'll give that to you. So what trends in vectorizing data outside of NLP are there, and what ones out there are to watch out for? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And so it was, NLP has proven to be such a success in this space. Uh, with models like, like especially with BERT and transformers, those kind of things, those, those kind of architectures, that we've seen that more and more people starting to think about like, okay, I have completely different types of data, and I'll, I'll give you an example in a bit. Can I factorize that as well? And can I search through that as well? And the answer is yes, you can. So one of the things that we see a lot is, for example, graph embeddings. So uh, we just released a demo that was from a Facebook, uh, sorry, I should say meta research nowadays, <laughs> from meta research <laughs> uh, about where they trained a model on graph representations in Wikidata. So you had a Wikidata entry. So for example, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, uh, I, I always take Stanley Kubrick, I'm, I'm, uh, as you can see in the picture behind me, I'm a big Stanley Kubrick fan. So then you take, for example, the, the Wikidata entry of the director, Stanley Kubrick, and then they give a, a vector representation to that uh, data object. Why do they do that? Because then it's a different way to navigate to that graph and to understand, hey, he's director, so the, the data item for director is nearby. So it's a, a multi-dimensional way of moving to this space where all these individual data objects live. So that's one example. Another example mm-hmm. is that we see happening, for example, in genomics and those kind of things. So that people say like, hey, actually, if we vectorize the, the knowledge that we have about proteins and those kind of things, we can search through them better and faster. Another mm-hmm. example that we have is uh, where we see, for example, in cybersecurity. So that you say like, okay, 
In cybersecurity, it's very normal to analyze cybersecurity threat based on what the content, what's in, so the structured part that you can read from it. But you can actually also create a vector representation of that data object. And what you then can do is that if you have data about the past, then you can see which threat led to a major problem or what the solution was to dealing with that threat. So now if something new comes in, the machine learning model gives it a vector representation. And thanks to the vector database like Weaviate, you can instantly say like, okay, you probably want to look at that from the past because that's how it was solved in the past, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you really see that people start to, to get that. And, and thanks to tools like, uh, or platforms like, uh, um, uh, like, like Hugging Face, for example, or mm -hmm. tools like Weaviate, it becomes more and more easy for people to actually build these kind of things. It really gets in the hands of like developers. You don't have to, you don't need to do a PhD anymore to make these kinds of models. And I think that's great. So it's democratization of, of, of machine learning and, and bringing that to, um, well, anybody who needs it. So it sounds like vectorizing data could be really influential in almost every area of our lives and whether it be with health whether it be you know with what you guys are doing talking on that what area do you think vectorizing data and you know kind of what you do where do you think it's going to have the the biggest impact in what area and what and what industry so the industry i i i have a very cheesy answer but i'm i really <laughs> i really mean it i think everywhere so this is just a, this is a paradigm shift in how you store your data and how you work with it. So that's the, the cheesy answer, but really everywhere. And I have proof for that because, as I mentioned, everybody that comes in and I ask them, what are you doing with Reviate? If you would see the overview that I have use case, it's enormous. It's like it, it's literally everywhere. Then you said like where? I think the first breakthroughs are NLP related. So people dealing, so the example that we just talked about in your industry, you can talk about finance, you can talk about legal, those kind of things. And, and I'm making this up on the spot, um, e-commerce, fast moving consumer goods, uh, product descriptions, reviews, those kind of things. I think there is where we will see the first few uh, breakthroughs. Uh, what's interesting is also to look at the fringes. So like if we talk about it, about like uh, vectorization of, of protein data, et cetera, because that really shows us the future where things are going. So. That is what I would, you know, basically what I'm personally uh, looking out for. Yeah, I mean, I, for one, am very much looking forward to the impact that it will have on uh, my life and my work workload. As you said, in, in my field, that what you mentioned about the uh, IT manager for sports, having something like that to be able to quickly type that in and just bring up a load of results would reduce time for me hugely. And obviously that can relate to almost everyone in any, in any industry doesn't have to be recruitment so yeah i think it's going to be huge and something i'm looking forward to see develop and you know god knows where it'll be in 10 years time how advanced it'll be then yeah no yeah no, i agree and it's like it's a it's it's really it's a trend so you see it moving in that in the right direction and that is just that's that's exciting it's 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 fun to sit on top of that wave so that's that's really cool mm -hmm. talking lastly on like trends of stuff and, and NLP in, in itself. I mean, of course, every day, every year, things are advancing and we're seeing new ideas come to light. Where do you see NLP in the next, should we say, 10, 20 years and how advanced will it be, do you reckon? Yeah, so that, that's, that's a good question. 10, 20 years is 
that's very far ahead. So so that's that I'm not sure that I can say something valuable about that, but I can say something about um, a few years from now that I what I think. And mm-hmm. so what we've seen is that there has been a and this is this is highly uh, subjective, but that there's a what we see is that there's like a tipping point reached. Yeah. Where the output of the models is, as I like to call it, good enough. So what I mean with that is like these models were adding value. So for example, what I talked about with Glove and Fast Text, but really purely relying on that was still mm, difficult, right? So you had to be very specific for use case and those kind of things. And we see more and more general purpose models popping up that we've reached a tipping point that people say like, hey, it's good enough for my case. And that is also something that I'm talking a lot with uh, like researchers and et cetera about. It's like, there's a very, there's a difference between a model being good from an academic perspective or from a, a use case or engineering perspective. Because you could sometimes argue that from an academic perspective, a model is still not good enough. Mm-hmm. But the end user says, like, I'm happy with the results. I'm, I'm, so hey, you might say, I'm happy that this resume popped up of this person uh, hiking, it, it is, is into hiking while I search for sports or those kind of things. And that is really different. So I think, and this is also good for the academic world, I think, like, if people start to run more and more with these models, the interest will just keep growing and growing over time. So to answer your question, one, I think that we've, because we've reached a tipping point, these models will keep getting better, better, and better, uh, but just people can already use them, so that's great. And secondly, I think we will see way more general purpose models that we don't have to fine tune that much anymore. Yeah, I, I was just gonna lead on with that as well, actually. So obviously we've got stuff that uh, allows the everyday person to use as well. So like Hugging Face, for example, do you think we'll see more of that so that the everyday person can do some basic NLP stuff and stuff like that. Yeah, sure. So, so Hugging Face is an example of that as a platform. Yeah? They're like the GitHub of models, if you will. Same goes for us, right? So we are a database and uh, people just, you know, select a few configuration options. They run a Docker image and they have everything. They have just a database, the APIs, they can do with it whatever they want. We take all that abstraction away. So think about like large tech organizations who are already using these kinds of technologies all build this from scratch. Now, if you're like, we, we have a lot of startup users, right? They built their startup on top of this technology. So it that's, that's fantastic. And if these companies become successful in turn, then that's another boost for the technology and so on and so forth. So yes, I'm biased, but I can safely <laughs> say this is here to stay. This is not going to, this is not going away anymore. Yeah, absolutely. I'm seeing advancements every single day, so I know exactly where you're coming from. And I've got to say, I'm obviously really, really intrigued about uh, semi-technologies and weave the product. I'm excited to see where it will be in the next 12 months as well. So definitely be keeping an eye out for that. So I've got to say thank you for the introduction to, to you, yourself, um, and, and weave the product and, of course, the company. So one thing I'd like to sort of end on is for those that are listening if there was perhaps one book out there that you would recommend reading to anyone what would that be oh that's a good question oh let me think let me think <laughs> there's so much here that i'm not looking at that might be interesting um yeah so this is this is a nice book it's a little bit abstract but it's uh, 
because there's so much I can choose from. So let me let me pick this one. So I like this book very much. So it's from Mike Abresh. It's called the, the Zen of Assembly Language. Uh, in the beginning, in the in so in the especially the the, the 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 preface and those kind of things, he talks also about the beauty of writing software. And back then he wrote the game uh, Quake. So he also talks about these kind of things. Uh, but it it's another insight in like the beauty and the joy of writing good software. Uh, so that is, um, if I had to pick something, uh, that's one that I would advise to read. It's an old book already, but it's still, uh, it's, it's great. Yeah, it sounds like a bit of a timeless book, like it could always be valuable at any era or any period. Yep. So yeah, thanks for sharing that. Of course. All right, so just for those that are listening, if you want to find out more about Bob you can and his company, Semi Technologies, you can check him out on LinkedIn. You're very active there, I've noticed. So some good content for you guys that are listening to, to look into as well. And of course, as you say, your, your TEDx speak will um, come out in a few weeks, January time. Yep. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, I look forward to that myself. But uh, I've got to say, Bob, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Loved learning about the company um, and look forward to, to catch up with you again sometime soon. Yeah, great. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me. No problem at all. Well, uh, everyone, thanks for listening. This was the NLP Zone podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Luxford. And today's guest was Bob Van Lout. Thank you. <laughs>